Father, we just thank you for again for your word and what you teach us through your word. And uh, Lord, uh, as we look at this church today who had a name that was alive but was really dead, Lord, uh, it's, a, it's a great uh, chance for all of us to examine where we stand with you, for our church to examine where we stand with you. Lord, are we alive? Are we dead? Are we dying? Lord, what's, what's our state? And I think as we look at this text, we can figure out just where we are as a church and as individual Christians, Lord. And, and Lord, none of us want to be dead. None of us want to be dying. So, Lord, you're going to show us today how we can be truly alive in Jesus Christ. And, and it's, it's pretty simple, but it's pretty profound. And, Lord, I just thank you that you're willing to teach us that, that you, Lord, that, that, uh, that you're not going to let your children die, that, that, that we thank you that it's, it's up to you more than it is up to us. So, so, Lord, we just ask that as we examine ourselves, then if we see that we're, we're uh, drifting away from you and dying, Lord, that you just show us how we can turn back. Uh, we just ask that you teach us these lessons and that you do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, most of you know that a couple of months back my mother died and when she was dying, uh, the doctors were wanting to put her on life support and I was really glad that they had made legal arrangements so that that didn't happen. Because I've been a pastor for several years and I've seen a lot of people on life support. I've never seen anybody come out of it. And uh, it's, not, it's not a pretty sight. Well, worse than an individual on life support is a, is a church that's on life support, a church that's dying or that's dead. And uh, we're going to look at one of those churches today as we look in Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be looking at the church at Sardis, and, and uh, uh, it, was a, it was a dying church, and a lot of the church was dead. Let's talk a little bit about Sardis first. It was an acropolis. It was a fortress city. It sat high on a plateau, about 1,500 feet above the main highway. And so it was a military base, and it was a manufacturing town. It was a, it was a, a retail town, and uh, it, was a, it was a place where people went for vacations. And so, so it had a big, a different mix of people. People from all over the world came to live there. And so they had a pluralistic society and, and a, 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 what you could call it a tolerant society. And so uh, uh, they, they didn't face much persecution there. We looked last week at a church that faced a lot of persecution, but they didn't face any persecution, not much at all. And so the church seemed to be thriving. Uh, if you walked into that church, you said, wow, this church is really alive but as we look at Jesus's analysis of this church we're going to see that that he was not pleased with what was going on at the church of Sardis so go with me to Revelation chapter 1 I mean I'm sorry Revelation chapter 3 and look down at verse number 1 and listen to what he says he says unto the angel the messenger the pastor of the church at Sardis write these right these things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, watch this, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. That's a pretty harsh description of a church. So he writes this letter to the 
messenger or the pastor of this church, and he gives him a pretty bleak description of his church. But before he does that, as he does in every letter, he just gives a description of himself, and that description is pertinent to, to what we see in this letter because he says, these things says he who has the seven spirits. Now, when he says he has the seven spirits, there's not but one Holy Spirit, but there's seven churches, and what he's saying is, and, and that number seven is the number of divine completion, and so he's saying that his spirit has gone out into the, all the churches. In other words, it's not God's fault that the church is dead. His spirit has gone out to the church. If you're here today, I believe the Holy Spirit is in this room. And if you're dead or dying, it is not his fault. It is your fault. Also, he says that there are seven stars. Well, that word star, can I mean, it's, it's this star, the, the person who's out front, the person you see. So I think, again, he's talking about the pastor or the leader of the church. And he says, that, he says he's, this is the one who has the seven stars. He's the one who sent out these seven stars. So if you're dead or you're dying, it's not the pastor's fault because God has sent, if the church is totally dead, you know, you can't say this. But in the churches that God is still working in today, he has a man or a group of men or a group of women or some women that are, that are his stars. They're the leaders of the church. And it's not their fault if the church is dying. If they're full of the Spirit and you're not full of the Spirit, that's not their fault. Look, I can't impart the Spirit of God to you. I can't do that. Only Jesus can impart the Spirit of God. I can't keep you full of the Spirit. I can't keep you alive. Now, sometimes I yell at you to get you going, but, but I can't keep you alive. That is a spiritual transaction between you and God. All I can do is lead you into a close relationship with the, with the Lord. In other words, I don't even like the term pastor. I think a better term for us is sheepdogs. You know what, we, my job is to herd you, to get you moved over to the true pastor, to the true shepherd, and that's the, the Lord Jesus Christ. But listen to this analysis of this church. I know that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. So they had given themselves a name. The church had a name that said that they were alive. I, I can just get, make some guesses here. Sardis alive. Uh, the word alive. Sardis life church. Uh, uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because a church should be alive. It should have life. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 6, verse 11. He says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves dead to dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ our Lord. We should be alive and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Hey, the word alive or the word life should describe every Christian and every church. So, so that's not a, that shouldn't be a bad thing. But I got to tell you something. I'm a little bit leery of churches that uh, flaunt their spirituality in their church name. Because I've, I've seen a lot of them that it kind of, they don't live up to the name. 
I, I, you know, one of, the, one of the names that really bothers me, I'm always leery when I hear the name grace in a church. Look, we all know it's all about grace, don't we? We all know it's all about Calvary. That's why we call ourselves Calvary Chapel. But, but there's a lot of churches that call themselves Grace Alive or Grace Church or House of Grace or Grace to You, and really they're very legalistic, very legalistic. And so they really shouldn't be, in, be using the name uh, Grace. And then you hear these churches that use the name Alive, and in reality, they're dead. They're just like this church in Sardis. Well, I gotta, I, I'm sure... If you went into that church in Sardis, they would, have been, they would have been doing everything they could to make it look like they were alive. In fact, they were fooling themselves. I mean, I'm sure they lifted their hands, they clapped their hands. Some of them probably jumped up and down and ran around the room. And I mean, they did everything they could to make it look like they were alive. They spoke in tongues. Everybody spoke in tongues. They didn't do it according to to the Bible in, in order uh, where the Bible says no more than two or three speak in tongues, but the, everybody was speaking in tongues. Everybody wanted to show everybody that they were alive. And I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't have a very charismatic pastor who, who, who pumped them up emotionally and, and there was all sorts of emotion in the room. And so they looked alive. But when you listen to the description that Jesus gives of this church, he says, look again, he says, you have a name that you are alive, you look alive, but you are dead. Well, that is a horrible description of a church. I would hope he would never say that of us. I hope he would never say that of me as an individual. Look, Jesus isn't against us having emotional experiences. I got, hey, I love to see Christians having emotional experience. In fact, I'd much rather see an emotional experience than a church just sitting there like they're dead, acting dead when maybe they're not dead. I mean, the life of God should invoke emotion. We shouldn't have to create that emotion. We, we should have the emotional responses to the life of God in us. And there's probably something wrong when people don't clap. There's probably something wrong when people, when people don't get excited, when they don't lift their hands. There's probably something wrong there. But, but, but the, that's, that's not near as bad as being a hypocrite and a pretender and trying to create something that you really truly don't have inside when you're truly dead. And, and, and the last thing we want to be is to be a hypocrite. Now... Let's talk about Calvary Chapel of Lafayette. And let's talk about some individuals in here. I'm going to name some names, so get ready. Diane, no. <laughs> She's a fraud. She's, you know, I give you a list of stuff. I'm joking. I'm not going to pick on Diane today. But let's talk about Calvary Chapel. I'm not going to pick on any individual. Let's talk about Calvary Chapel. Where are we at? Are we alive? Or are we dead? You know where I would... Put us. Sometimes I come in here and I experience so much life in this church. I experience the Spirit of God moving in this church. And you know how I see it more than any other way. It's not so much by the clapping of the hands and the emotional responses. It's by the love I see in this church that people have for one another. I think that's the number one way you can tell that there's life in a church. 
But I got to tell you, there's sometimes I come into this church and I feel like we're on life support. I feel like some of you are coming in and out of a coma. I mean, you're, you're, you're so bored by what's going on that it's just like, oh, man, and, it's, it's, and it worries me sometimes. And, and I think if I was to, to label our church, I would label it like I would label most of the true evangelical churches in America today, and that is that we're dying. We're not dead, but we're dying. In Sardis... Most of the people in there were dead. But there was a remnant there. But the remnant wasn't alive and full of life. The remnant was dying. And, and that's why I think this message is so important and pertinent to a lot of us today. Because I think we're dying. And, and listen to what Jesus says to the dying, those who are dying. He, he tells you how you can come back alive. If you're dying, listen to what he says. Look at verse number two. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Now, now how do we have works that are perfect before God? There's only one way that works can be perfect before God. And that's if those works are spiritual works. Spiritual works are perfect works. The works that God does through you by the Holy Spirit, they're always perfect works. Anything else, anything that's of the flesh is dead. It's dead. And when a lot of people are dying, they turn to dead works to try to fix what's dying. And that doesn't work. So here was this church at Sardis, and they had all, everybody in there called themselves a Christian. And they looked alive, but they were dead. And, and that, for the most part, that represented most of the Christians in that church. But there was a remnant, and that remnant was ready to die. They were about to die. Let me give you the good news here. If you're dying, if you don't feel fully alive today, listen, if you're not full of the Holy Spirit today, you are dying. You're dying. But if you're dying, I got some good news for you. You're not going to die. You're dying, but you're not going to die. Because he who began a good work in you is going to complete that work till the end. Listen to what Jesus said over in, in uh, if I can find my reference here, over in Matthew chapter 17, or, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 12, verse 20. He says, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoking flax he will not quench. A dying ember he will not put out. He will not let it go out till he sends forth justice to victory, until he sends forth his justice and his righteousness into us to where we have victory and we make it all the way home. You're, listen, if you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're going you're gonna to make it home. If you're a dying ember, if you don't feel full of the Spirit, I've got news for you, you're still going to make it home. But we don't want to be dying, do we? 
And, and so he tells us how, to, how we can have victory through this life. And listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. He, he says, first of all, in verse number two, the first thing he says is be watchful. Be watchful. In other words, we're all to be watchmen, especially as a pastor. I'm to be a watchman. I'm to look out over you, and i got to tell you, if I see that you're dying, I'm going to tell you that it looks like maybe you're dying. If I see myself, I mean, I look at myself first, and I, say, and I will put myself in the category not as fully alive, not as fully alive as I should be. If I'm not as fully alive as I should be, then what does that mean about me? It means that I'm dying to some degree, and I'm to be, we're to be watchmen. We're to look, that means we're lookouts. We're to look out for each other, and we're to, we're to look out for our church, and we're to look out for ourselves, and we're to ask ourselves, are we alive, or are we dead, or are we dying? Look, I know some people in this room, and I'm not going to name names, I, I mean, I, and I, I really don't know where everybody stands with the Lord, but I know there's some people in this room that are probably dead. They're dead. They're not even born again. And then I think most of us fit into the category of the fact that we're dying. And so we got to ask ourselves, is our worship real? Is our relationship with the Lord real? Are we trying to generate things in the flesh? Are we real? Are we being real with the Lord? Are we living in a real relationship with the Lord? Are we pretenders? And you know what, if we're a pretender, you know what that makes us? It makes us a hypocrite. And I believe at times all of us play the part of hypocrite. Y'all don't walk out on me today. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to myself here as much as I'm talking to you. And if we're, if we're nothing but pretenders, then we're, we're dead. And, I, you know, I don't think, I look at most of you guys and maybe, you know, Hopefully all of you, you're not pretenders, you're not hypocrites. But we look at ourselves, and I, I think we have to honestly evaluate ourselves as to some degree dying, dying. And so we're to be watchful, be honest with ourselves. Where are we at? And what do we do if we're dying? When, we, when we, we're watchful, we're to strengthen the things that remain. You want to come alive in the Lord, fully alive in the Lord? Then you've got to strengthen the things that remain. You know, what, what, what causes us to die? There's two things that can cause you to die as a Christian. You're not going to die eternally. But I'm talking about to lose your zeal for the Lord. To lose, to lose spiritually. To not be spiritually full. What things cause that? Well, first of all, let me tell you what causes it. Number one, we allow the things of this world to choke out what God has given us. We're all guilty of that. We are so worldly in America today, and that's why we're dying. You're not going to be killed by that. But it just chokes out 
your relationship with the Lord and it chokes out your joy and it chokes out your peace and God wants you to have all of those things. And the other reason we're dying, when we start choking like that and we can't breathe spiritually, we want to fix it ourselves and so we fall into legalism and we start trying to fix things ourselves instead of going back to the Lord. And so what the Lord wants us to do, what he's telling us if we're dying, is to strengthen those things that remain. Now how do I strengthen those things that remain? Well, he tells us. He tells us in verse number three. Look at the very first part of number verse, in, uh, verse number three. He tells us three ways that we strengthen those things that remain. That we stop the process of dying and start the process of living and receiving the life God wants to give us. Here's how we do it. Verse number three. You can, well, this is one of those things you could hang on your refrigerator. Verse number three. First thing, remember. Remember. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. You're to remember. The second thing you're to do is to hold fast. I'll tell you what you got to hold fast to in a minute. And the third thing, and I think this is the most important thing, because you could put it all, all the things you need to do into one word, one word, and that is repent. 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 That's the word. So, Look at these instructions again. First of all, we're to remember. We're, we're, we're to remember how we received and heard, how we were made alive in the first place. How were we made alive in the first place, congregation? How were you made alive? By faith. By faith. It's, and how do we get that faith? It's a gift of God and not of works, lest any man should boast. See, that's why Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, he says, As you therefore receive Jesus Christ, so walk in him. How did we receive Jesus Christ? By faith. How do we walk alive and full of the Spirit in, in Jesus Christ? By faith. See, that's the same thing that he told the church in Ephesus in the first letter. Remember what he told the church in, in Ephesus? He says, hey, you guys are doing all sorts of wonderful things for the kingdom of God, but I have something against you. You have left your first love. You have left your first love. And what did, he tell, what did Jesus tell them to do? He, he told them to go back to the first works. What were the first works? When they lived the Christian life by faith, a childlike faith. You know, we complicate things. We complicate things with our, with our works mentality that somehow we gotta, we got to prove ourselves to God. Somehow we got to make ourselves righteous. Somehow we've got to fix our lives. And we complicate things with our guilt because we can't fix what's wrong with us. And so we feel guilty and we feel separated from the Lord. And we're the ones who separate ourselves from the Lord because all our guilt's been taken away by the blood. Uh, and so what do we got to do? We got to go back and remember. We got to remember the cross and how we were saved. And it was by the blood we were saved. It's by the blood we're forgiven. It's by bl the blood we receive the Holy Spirit. And we walk in life and not in death. 
And if you're dying, you're not going to fix it by doing more stuff. It ain't going to happen. We ask the Lord to fix it. And we believe he's going to fix it by faith. If you're here today and you're honest with yourself and you're dying and you want to come alive in the Lord, then you've got to ask the Lord to fix that. You've got to ask him to fix it and he will fix it. You know, I've seen so many denominations and churches over the years that knew they were dying. They come to the point that, and for them, dying is they lose numbers. I mean, you see denominations. I was part of a denomination, and man, numbers were everything. And when those numbers started going down, they wanted to know what was happening there. They didn't care about spiritual things. How can we get these numbers back up? And so they, what did they do to fix it? They didn't draw closer to the Lord and go back to the original faith, back to the original thing that made them what they were. What they did, they started creating programs to fix things. And programs won't fix things. You might increase your attendance, but dead works don't fix anything. When all they needed to do was get back to the basics, to by faith get closer to the Lord so that he would fill us. And fill them with life. Then look at the second thing he tells us right here. He says to hold fast to what you've received. Hold fast. Go back and remember how you got saved and what God gave you when you got saved. And then you're just to cling to that for the rest of your life. I mean, isn't that the same thing? Remember last week we looked at the church of Thyatira. Isn't that the same thing he told them? Look at that. Chapter 2, look down at verse number 25. He says, but hold fast to what you have till I come. He's not talking about hold fast to your, to your car or to your new home or to some things you've got or to your wife or to your kids. Hold fast to what you have. What do we have? You know, I've shared this with you before. I, I remember when I was down one time, I remember a guy coming to me, a really wise man, and telling me, you've got everything. You've got everything. I don't have everything. He said, yeah, you have everything you need. What do I have? I mean, I was broke back when he told me that. He said, you have faith. You have faith. And you hold fast to that faith because that faith is everything. I mean, isn't it? I mean, how did we get life in the first place? We got it by faith. How were we sealed with the Spirit? We got it by faith. How were we forgiven of our sins? By faith. I mean, why do we have hope in Jesus Christ in a grand future for, for eternity? How do we have that? By faith. How do we have the love of God in us? By faith. How do we have the peace of God in us? By faith. And so the more we live by faith, the brighter the flame burns and the more life we have in us. I mean, when we quit hoping, when we quit seeing ourselves as forgiven, when we quit believing the Spirit of God is in us, when we quit believing every promise in this Word, we believe this Word by faith. So we're to hold fast to all of these things by faith. And then look at the last thing he tells us we have to do. The third thing. 
if you're dying, if you're dying, if your love for the Lord is waning, then let me tell you what you got to do. And, and this simplifies everything. You want to put one word on your refrigerator instead of the whole verse. Put this word, repent. Repent. What's repent mean? It means simply to turn around. Simply to turn around. You know why you're dying? You know why you're dying? Because you're walking into the world and you're walking away from the Lord. And the more you walk into the world, and look, we've got to live in this world, I understand that. But the more worldly you become, the more you turn your focus and eyes on everything of this world, the more you die. You know, I see all the things happening in our nation today. I see all these threats from North Korea. I see these athletes making fools of themselves by not standing for the Pledge of Allegiance of the United States of America. I see all the terrible things that are happening in our country. And you know what it causes me to do? It causes, it causes me to become less worldly. It causes me to repent, to turn away from this world and all of this junk in this world and turn to the Lord. And so to me, this might be a good thing, all of these things that are happening. It's certainly a good thing for me because it's made me sick of all the stuff on TV. It's made me, you can't go to a movie because it is all worldly. You can't watch TV because it is all worldly. It is all antichrist. And so we repent. We turn from that. And when we turn from that, we find life. You know what happens when we turn from that? When we're walking away from God and we're walking away from God and we're walking away from God. You know what happens when we turn around? He's there. And he hasn't moved one inch we're the ones that moved away from him. He's never moved away from us. And all he's doing is asking us to turn around and come back to him and repent, and we will find life. If we're dead, we will find life. And if we don't turn around, he warns us. He warns us. If you're dead, he's going to warn you. If you're dying, he's going to warn you. Look at verse number of the last part of verse number three, he says, therefore, if you will not watch, if you don't examine yourself spiritually and watch out for your church and watch out for yourself and your family, I'm going to come when you least expect it. I will come to you as a thief, and you will not know the hour that I will come. And when he comes, our true spiritual condition is going to be revealed. Those who claim to be alive and are not, they will be revealed as dead. And they will hear the scariest words I've ever heard in my life. Depart from me, I never knew you. And they will go to hell with the devil and his demons. And if you're dying, and you don't do anything about the fact that you're dying. And the Lord's going to come when you least expect it. Now, there's a couple of ways he can come. I think we're getting really close to the rapture. I hope that's the way. But these older people that are getting, you know, these older people, that coming might be another way. We might die. And you know what? I like what Vance Hebner says, graves come in all sizes. 
They come in all sizes. You don't know when the Lord's coming for you. He's going to come when you least expect it. And if we're dying and he comes, we'll be saved as through fire, but we will be ashamed at his coming. Now the good news, even if you're dying, you don't want to live this life dying. But if you've been sealed with the Spirit, you've been saved, when the Lord comes, the rewards so beyond description that I can't even describe it. The Bible doesn't even try. But Jesus describes it in the next few verses, a part of it that to me is just beyond imagination. Listen to what he says in the next few verses. He says, you have a few names in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. He will live forever, he or she. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. You catch that? I will confess, I will call out his name before God Almighty, which by the way, Jesus is God Almighty in the flesh. But before my Father and before all the angels, you will hear Jesus call out your name. Now, we've got to look at this because some interpreters tell you that what this means is that when we believe in Jesus Christ, we're given garments, robes of righteousness, pure white garments, and our names are written in the book of life. I agree with that totally. But these same commentators go on, and what they will tell you is, and this is where they go wrong, that what this passage right here teaches is that if we spoil those garments with our sin, and they talk, they're talking about the biggies. Now, i got a problem with that because all sin is a biggie to God. When you have an evil thought, that is a sin to God. When you gossip, that is a sin against God. When you gossip and when you, when you lie, when you cheat, and when you blaspheme God, and when you ignore God, all of those are big sins to God. And they spoil your garments. You're given this righteous, holy, white garment, and what does sin do to that garment? It pollutes that garment. But these people will tell you that when that happens, then you lose your salvation, and your names are blotted out of the book of life. Well, I've got a real problem with that interpretation. Because if sin, subsequent to our salvation, causes us to have our names blotted out of the book of life, I'm going to tell you when it's all over, there's not going to be any names in the book of life. 
you're not going to be there and I'm not going to be there because nobody but Jesus Christ has ever lived a perfect life. And that includes people who have been saved. That includes the Apostle Paul. Nobody has lived a perfect life after salvation. We've all drifted away from the Lord. We've all dirtied our garments. Let me ask you another question. How many of us, by our good works, our sinlessness, sinlessness, have made ourselves worthy of eternal life? How many of you have made yourself worthy? Don't raise your hand. How many of you have made yourselves worthy of eternal life? What's the answer to that? None of us. None of us. When we get to Revelation chapter 15, we're going we're gonna to hear the saints before the throne of God. And listen to what they say. They say, you alone, speaking of Jesus Christ, are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. We're worthy, Lord, because of your blood. You've made us worthy. And, and then the saints shout, worthy is the Lamb. Why do we shout, worthy is the Lamb, and cast our thrones before the Lord? Because we know that we are unworthy. That's why. He's the one, the Lamb of God, who takes away our sins. So, looking at this verse, if we can't make ourselves worthy, and we can't, there's no way we can walk perfectly before the Lord and keep our garments clean and keep our names written in the book of life, then what is Jesus saying right here? I mean, what's he saying to us? Well, look back at first verse number five. Look, look, at the, look at what he says right there. He says, he that overcomes will be clothed in white garments. He that overcomes will be made pure and kept pure. He that overcomes will have his name written in the book of life and it will never be blotted out. How do we overcome? Well, when we get to Revelation chapter 12, we're told that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. That's how we overcome. How do we overcome by the blood of the Lamb? How does that work? By faith. We overcome by faith in the blood. The life that's in the blood, the eternal life that's in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how we overcome. Jesus said, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you do not have eternal life. It's the only way you have eternal life. Your works don't give you eternal life. The blood of Christ gives you the eternal life. And that covers you and perfects you and makes your garments clean and gives you clean garments and keeps those garments clean by faith. By faith. Look back at 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Just a couple of books back. And look down. Look down at verse number 4. For whatever is born of God. If you've been sealed with the Spirit. If you've received Jesus Christ in your heart, you've been born of God. Overcomes the world, the flesh, and the devil. Whatever is born of God overcomes. 
And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith. See, that's how you have life. That's how you have victory. It's by faith. It's by faith that your garments are made white. And it's by faith that they stay white. Flip back to, go back a little further to 1 John chapter 1. And look down in verse number 7. First John 1, verse number 7. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, how do we walk in the light? How do we overcome? By faith. By faith we walk in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his sons, cleanses us from how much? All our sins. So if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and how do we walk in the light as he is in the light? By faith, we're overcomers. And that blood of Christ cleanses our garments, our robes of righteousness, and keeps us white. And so our names stay in the book of life. It's all by grace. It's all by faith. I love that song by Matt Mayer. Lord, I need you. How I need you. Every hour I need you. My defense, my righteousness. Oh God, how I need you. Listen to this verse. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. And listen to this. Holiness is what? Christ in me. That's how I'm made holy. That's how I'm made pure. That's how I stay pure. Christ in me. Go back to Revelation now and look at this verse again. Revelation chapter. And he says, he who, in verse number five, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. I got talk about that just one second. The word white there is the Greek word lukos. What do we get from that? Luke, the name Luke. And it's not like white, uh, the color white. It's a white light. It's a pure white light. It's, what light is that? It's the Shekinah glory of God. That's the light. That's what he's talking about right here when he says, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. You'll be clothed in the pure light of God. When you're saved, you're clothed in the pure white glorious Shekinah glory of God. You're covered. You're his child. I mean, I, remember how Elijah told his servant, I wish your eyes could be open so you could see what's around you. You could see all the angels that are around you. I wish today that your eyes could be open and you could see the glorious white light that covers you. Do we want to pollute that light with our sin? No. But when we do pollute that light with our sin, the blood of Christ 
makes it white again, and it stays white. See, that fits perfectly with what we looked at in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, the leukos, the pure white light of God, as he's in the light, in his light, we have fellowship with one another in love because the Spirit of God fills us. And the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. And we remain perfectly white, perfectly righteous, perfectly pure. Oh, so does that mean we just keep right on sinning because we're going to be pure anyway? Make a neck, though, Paul says. May it never be. Look, if you want to sin, you're walking in darkness and you are dead. You're dead. A born-again believer hates sin. You have the Spirit of God. You have that glowing light around you. You hate sin and you hate you have, have your garments defiled. You hate that. And as believers, when we sin, look, our garments remain perfectly white, perfectly pure. But that doesn't mean we get away with our sin. God carries a big stick, a big stick. Look, there are things your buddies can get away with, your lost buddies. I hope you don't have too many lost buddies. You need to get them saved. But there's things they get away with you're not going to get away with. When I see people who are born-again believers fall into sin, I know the Lord's got them and they're going to come out of that. It's going to take time sometimes, but they're going to come out of that. When I see them fall into something, I know they're going to get caught. I know it's going to come down on them. The hammer of God's going to come down on them. In love. If you can get away with things and God, you don't ever get caught and you just keep right on sinning, you're not a child of God. But if you're a child of God, God is going to use that stick. You know why he's going to use that stick? Because he loves you. He loves you and he wants you to walk with him in light. And he'll do what it takes to drive you back into that relationship to get you to repent. Look, there might even be times when it seems like we're on life support. That we're about to die. But God's not going to let us die. He knows how to get us to repent. He knows how. That's why you see all these things going on in the world right now. God's not so much concerned about the lost and dying part of this world that's going to go go to hell in a handbasket. He's allowing these things to happen for you, for your sake, to wake you up, to get you to repent, to get you to do your part. Your part. What's your part? Remember. Remember how you were saved. By faith and walk by faith to hold fast hold fast to what you have 
Hold fast to your faith. Hold fast to the Lord. He wants you to do that in these last days. And if you're drifting away, he wants you to turn around. He wants you to repent. And if we do those things, one day after we die, after the rapture, we're going to stand at the Lord's throne and we're going to hear our name called out before the Father and his holy angels. He knows whose names he's going to call out because they're written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He who has an ear, he finishes up. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for our faith. What a gift, Lord. We, we trample all over it at times. And that's one of the reasons, Lord, that we find ourselves dying and not full of life. Lord, we just ask you to take us back. Take us back to those days, Lord, when we first were saved, where we truly were excited about you and about the things you were doing in our life. We, the most important thing to us was our faith and our love for you. Take us back, Lord. Keep us there. Help us to walk in purity. Thank you for the fact when we don't, Lord, that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we're just so blessed as a church. Fill this church with your life. Fill everyone here with your life. Lord, you're not going to do that if we don't repent. If we don't turn to you. Father, if there's anyone here who knows deep down inside that they're dead, that they don't know you, that they don't care about this word, they don't care about what's going on here, Lord. Lord, show them the way to true peace and true joy through your Son, Jesus Christ. Bless them by your Holy Spirit. Change them so that they too will hear their names called out before the angels. Father, we just thank you for all you're doing and all you've done for us through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.